Good morning and welcome to worship to all those who are joining us in the traditional sanctuary and also online. It's good to be able to study the Word of God all together. In this season of Advent, we're preparing our hearts to receive again the gift of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, as we celebrate his birth into this earth and we also celebrate in Advent that Jesus will come again and a visible way to the earth. And in the meantime, we celebrate that he is with us here now in the presence of his Holy Spirit. What God did through Jesus Christ completely changed how we're connected to God. And that all came through the gift that Jesus was born to be for us. But how do we unwrap that gift? How do we receive it and let it change us? That's what this Advent series is meant to really help us to do, to get at the heart of how we can live into that gift through the practice of Sabbath. And we call this series Unwrapping the Gift, but unwrapping a gift isn't all that matters. It's not really a gift to you until you use it, until you see what it is and the kind of joy that it's meant to bring to your life. And my nieces really love to unwrap presents. Maybe you've known some kids that are like that. Presents under the tree, they just get to them, whether you have the mystery that just gets at them. What can be in there? I have to know. So much so that when they have permission to start unwrapping presents, they just get one unwrapped and they look at it, put it aside, grab the next one. They don't even have time to see what it is that they got. And it's almost funny, after the fact, they're almost more excited to see their presents the second time because they hardly even remember that they opened it. Oh, this is what I got? I love that. <laughs> and my sister, of course, she tries to change that. She tries to stop them. Wait, whoa, before you unwrap the next one, that thing's sitting on your lap, do you see what it is? Do you remember who gave it to you? Would you please go and say thank you to the person who gave it to you? <laughs> but still, they can't seem to really absorb it until the wrapping is off of everything else. Only then can they see what they have. And I think that's funny, but sometimes that's the way that we tend to live our lives too. We're so anxious to know what comes next. We live our lives attacking things on our to-do list, getting things done, taking care of things one at a time, and we forget what we've already been given. We forget to say thank you, to enjoy what's right in front of us. We forget to look into the eyes of the one who has given it to us. And what happens, what do we lose when we constantly live at that pace, always living for what's next? When we always live for what's next, we miss the gift of the joy in the now. And that's not a gift that God wants us to miss. Because now is where God speaks into our lives. And what God says in the now is what shapes us to be able to receive what comes next. But are we even listening? Several years ago, a friend of mine had an aha moment like this. She is absolutely brilliant, and so is her husband. They both had really good jobs. They were doing well in their fields, but there was a lot of pressure on their time. And then one day, she had this life-changing revelation. She told me tearfully that one day, she had realized, all I ever say to my children is, hurry up. Hurry up, we gotta get there. Hurry up, eat your food. Hurry up, get ready for bed. Hurry up, get up in the morning. Hurry up and get out the door. She said, I really want a life where I can have a conversation with my kids that don't include the words, hurry up. Where I can actually ask them about something that matters and take the time to listen to their answers. 
she realized that she was not actually living a life that allowed for what she valued most. And in a very costly moment of clarity, her very successful job got downgraded. And as a result, so did their house. And there have been times when she's missed what she's given up, but the moments that she gained are worth so much more to her. She didn't want to be moving so fast that she became a stranger to her family. And in a similar way, our work, our accomplishing, our addiction to constant moving can also make us strangers to God. Because for any relationship to grow, it needs time just to be. We need time for us to be and to be together. And God knows that about us because he made us that way. And he also provided, he commanded even, that kind of connection. But not because he wants us to follow rules, but because he wants us to find life. Are we missing a priceless gift that we've already been given, but we've never unwrapped? One of the best books I've read on that subject was by a woman named Lynn Babb called Sabbath Keeping, if you'd like to read more about this. Lynn and her husband, as Christians, didn't always practice Sabbath rest. In fact, it never really even occurred to them to try it until they moved to Israel for work. And they both thought that the biblical impact of seeing all the sights was what was going to really change them. They had no idea what would change them the most was their experience of the practice of Sabbath. This young couple didn't have much money, so the only apartment they could afford was next to a very busy road. It had no air conditioning, so the windows were always open to let in the air and the constant roar of road noise, day and night, every day, constantly. And then after five days of that constant noise, suddenly something strange happened. Almost to the moment that the sun went down on Friday, the roar of road noise stopped. Because Friday at sundown is the beginning of the Jewish Sabbath. No buses run on the Sabbath. No trucks haul anything. Very few cars go anywhere. Quiet fell. Sabbath had begun. And Lynn described this feeling like flowing waters of refreshment, the silence. And it stayed overnight. It stayed into the next day. And Lynn and her husband didn't have a car, and of course the buses didn't run. So unless they were walking, they literally couldn't go anywhere. And all the stores were closed anyway, so where would they go? So instead, they were forced to rest, to spend a day reading, praying, walking together, bird watching, letter writing, laughing with their neighbors who were all gathered together watching their children play in the quiet streets. And they found it kind of bizarre and also amazing that their whole world changed for 24 hours. It all stopped for everyone to stop doing and just be. And when on Saturday at sundown, the roar of the vehicle traffic started up again, Lynn said she felt a tangible sense of loss, the end of something precious, a holy time set apart. But guess what? Come Friday sundown the next week, it happened again. And the next week, and the next. And on those Fridays and those hours before the Sabbath, week after week, she felt the excitement build all around her. People doing their shopping, their cooking, their preparing, all of their last minute doing to prepare for a day of being. And the overall feeling everywhere was joy. Six days you shall do your work and your labor, but the seventh day is to be a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. Now, can you imagine living like that? It sounds lovely, doesn't it? And guess what? It's not a human invention. 
That was God's command for his people. So stop for a moment and think about that. Of all of the things God could have built into his Ten Commandments, why would God command his people to stop accomplishing for one day and just be? Be in holy time with himself and others. What does that tell you about the character of God? What does that tell you about who he is and how he knows you, what he wants for you, what he wants the rhythm of your life to be like for you? See, God wants our lives to be filled with holy purpose. Six days of the week, God calls us to partner in his mission to bless the world. But on day seven, he also calls us to stop and simply be blessed, to take the time to see what we've already been given and to enjoy it, to look into the eyes of the giver and to say thank you and to remember our connection to him to have the time to ask God our questions and to listen for his answers, time to get to know God and to know each other, a day for no to-do lists, only to-be lists, to think about who God has made you to be, who he has redeemed you to be through the gift of his son Jesus who came to meet you right here. What does it tell you that the holiest day is the one where you are not doing anything. You're just simply receiving. What does that tell you about what's most important to God? About you. In Exodus 31, 13, God said, Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Who makes us holy? Us? Our work? Getting everything right? No. The Lord is the one who makes us holy. His presence with us. And in Jesus Christ, that work is fulfilled for us. Do we receive it? In Isaiah 30, 15, it says, For thus says the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. In quietness and trust, returning and rest. Returning, then, to who? Rest in who? Trust in who? You see, this day isn't just about us stopping. It's about learning that when we stop working, that he is working, that he's doing his work in us. And for that to happen, we need to stop tinkering with building our own empires and instead let him do what he will do in us. And returning and rest is our salvation because there's only one Savior and it's not you. How will we receive that work that we can't earn? Because receiving takes practice. Sometimes we're not very good at receiving. So God tells us to practice. Once a week, stop and remember, no matter what the world says, it's not all up to you. You're accomplishing Observing the Sabbath is practicing holy resistance against that lie, trusting in a different master who has a different promise. After her year in Israel, Lynn said, the Sabbath has enabled me to learn from Jesus, to take his gentle yoke on my shoulders rather than live in response to the world's demands or my unhealthy desires. Keeping a Sabbath has taught me the deep truths of God's love 
as much as any faith discipline I've observed as an adult. The Sabbath has inscribed God's grace on my soul in a way I can barely even describe, she says. But when they got back to the States, they tried to describe it. They tried to tell their Christian friends what a gift the Sabbath was to them. And do you know what their friend's response was? That's so legalistic. You don't have to do that anymore. (laughs) And they were just flabbergasted because have to wasn't anywhere in their hearts. Their experience of Sabbath was all about the goodness of God and his tender care for their souls. But it seemed like in this addicted-to-doing culture, none of their friends could even see it, the gift. They were too busy living into what was next to stop and to see and enjoy God at work in the now. And it seems funny. God's people have always known that Sabbath was important, but unfortunately they tried to guard it with a bunch of laws. And laws have never worked to make people rest Because in the end, they end up focusing on the law and asking the question, am I accomplishing this correctly (laughs) instead of just being? And Sabbath is not a day to focus on what you do. It's a day to focus on what God is doing and has done and is doing. Sabbath is a day of gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. He gave so you may receive. And we see this in Jesus. Jesus got in trouble with the Pharisees for the things that he did on the Sabbath, but the things he did were always things that honored the heart of what the Sabbath is meant to be. Jesus brought healing on the Sabbath because Sabbath is for restoration, not for staying in bondage to slavery. That being in God's presence is restoration. You can't prohibit healing on the day to be in God's presence because being in God's presence naturally brings us healing. For Jesus to heal on the Sabbath was the most natural expression of what it's for, remembering that he is God and we are his. To Sabbath is to fast from your addiction to getting life by accomplishing and instead just be the beloved of God in relationship with others. And if Sabbath-keeping is an exercise in living into that identity as child of God, what do children do? They play. Good Sabbaths involve both praying and playing, enjoying the gift and the giver in the now. So think about your Sabbath practice. Does your Sabbath practice bring you delight? Does it help you enjoy the gifts that you've been given? Does it deepen in you a sense of holiness or connection with God? Only by stopping do our souls learn that we are loved apart from what we do. And God knows that. In returning and rest is your salvation, he says. So on your Sabbath, what do you need to cease doing? Pastor Steve talked about this a little bit last week, and it really is different for everyone. What you need to stop is anything that makes you define your worth by what you do. No to-do lists. And for heaven's sake, no guilt about what you're not accomplishing on this Sabbath. Because the work of the Sabbath, the work of the day, is to trust and to be. And whatever you decide to do on that day, do it looking for God's presence in the moment. See, the biggest problem with our world's frantic addiction to always living in the next instead of the now is that it's only in the now that God speaks 
And when we listen to what God speaks to us in the now, it's going to empower us for the next or maybe even change what's coming next. And we can learn that in a really powerful way from our gospel lesson for today. Think about this young girl named Mary. I'm sure like any newly engaged young woman, she was busy with all kinds of dreams and plans for what her life would be with her fiancé, Joseph. But the next thing she knows, this angel is telling her that God has a very different plan in mind for her, that she would bear the Messiah, the one that all of her people have been waiting for since the time of King David. And her child, not Joseph's, would do this. Did she worry, can I handle this? Am I up to this? What about my dreams? If she wondered any of that, we don't hear it. All we hear is her response, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. This is pretty huge because this was not at all the next that she had planned. But her response to God in the now is one of complete trust. She trusts him in the now to provide what she will need for the next that he calls her to live. Think about that. What forms that kind of heart of trust? How do we learn to trust God like that with that kind of joy. Relationship is only built by experience and time. Practicing being present with God. It's developed in us by the practice of taking time to stop and let God be God and reframe us every week. And I'm sure that Mary's Sabbath time, her Sabbath practice with God prepared her to trust his good heart for her in this greatest moment. And you don't have to look long to see that God is worthy of that trust. Because after giving Mary this enormous, overwhelming task, what happens next? Take a look at the sequence of events. In Luke 1, Mary's relative Elizabeth has a miraculous pregnancy, past her childbearing years, carrying the child who will be John the Baptist. Luke 1.24 says, After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. So she was behind closed doors, kind of locked away from the world for five months. And then in the sixth month, when she finally comes back out into society, we see in verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. This is the point where the angel comes and tells Mary the plan, including, in verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will fail. This angel is giving Mary some encouragement to know where she can find some help. And Mary's smart enough to follow that lead. So in verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child who will bear. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. You see, in this moment when Mary had been her most vulnerable, in most need of encouragement and understanding of a safe place to unpack this enormous calling God had given her, what is the first thing God gives her? A place of rest, refuge. See, God knows us. He knows what we need. We can trust him in the now and we can trust him to lead us into the next. 
And Mary knew it. She trusted God in the now, and she saw his faithfulness to her. And that's what caused her to praise. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. See, in this moment, Mary is not worrying about what she will do. She's completely focused on what God is doing. And that sets her free to experience true joy. So how do we learn to live like that? I think it starts with learning to unplug from the lies of the world one day a week. To live this protected, guilt-free day of rest for you and God to be with the people that you love. Because that's what God wants for you. Six days of work, paid work, housework, homework. One full day of rest and play. Giving thanks to God and prayer. Now I want to be clear, God is not going to love you more if you practice a time of Sabbath rest to honor him. Because he already loves you now more than you could ever imagine. He wants you to practice Sabbath rest because he loves you. However, what will happen as you intentionally grow in this practice of Sabbath is that you will start to understand more and more how good he actually is, how much he really loves you as you begin to see this gift and look the giver in the eye and live into it. But this is such a countercultural practice, you're going to need some support to practice it. Because unfortunately, we tend to ask ourselves questions like, well, have I done enough to deserve a day off this week? Now, first of all, according to who? Second of all, that question is absolutely irrelevant. Because nowhere does God say, if you've done enough work this week, then take a Sabbath day of rest. No, he doesn't say that. He says, do it. Sabbath is not a reward for what you were able to get done. Sabbath rest is a separation from the harsh voice of the world. It's acknowledging for 24 hours that you have a different master who simply commands you to be. And you're being faithful to him, the creator of the universe, when you stop and just be. When you cease to listen to the world's harsh taskmasters and your own heart that speak that lie that you're only worth what you can accomplish, stop listening to that voice, God says. And on this day, remember, you are mine. In returning and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. I am the Lord your God who makes you holy. See, it's a command that's designed to help you learn simply to let the Lord love you. In returning and rest is your salvation because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us before we could possibly deserve it. While the silent world was sleeping, a baby was born in a stable, breaking into our broken world with the way of our restoration and hope. He is Savior, and you are the receiver. So let him love you. Learn to be in his love now, and let him lead you into the next. And I acknowledge that there is a cost to this that Sabbath practice. It takes planning, it takes thought, intentionality, it takes discipline to choose rest, and the culture will not give you any support in that choice. But this gift is not only a gift to you, it's also a gift back to the Lord your God. It's a gift of your time and your attention 
Sabbath time is about being present in the now where God speaks. And what God reveals when we slow down enough to listen will change our next. So what better time to prepare our hearts to receive than now as we prepare to receive the greatest gift of all at Christmas, the gift of Jesus, our Savior, who came to be our peace in the next and in the now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess in this busy time, we can truly be obsessed with all of the things on our to-do list, all the things that we want to create and accomplish and uh, put together. But Lord, remind us today that what really matters most is simply being with you. The promise of your presence is what this whole season is all about. And so Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would reshape our imaginations to see our lives the way that you see them and to find our rest in you. Lord, we echo the words of the old Christmas hymn. What can I give you, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I'd give you a lamb. If I were a wise man, I'd do my part. Lord, what can I give you? I'll give you my heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.